second episode of the RD Films podcast. I'm your host, Robert Drever. If you have not had the chance to check out my previous episode where I discussed Knives Out, this is still available. And if you did check it out, I hope you liked it. This week, we are discussing the 2011 film, The Raid, also known as The Raid Redemption, depending on your region. The film was written and directed by Welsh filmmaker Gareth Evans and is centred around a rookie cop called Rama, played by Iko Uwa. The IMDb plot summary for the raid is, a SWAT team becomes trapped in a tenement ran by a ruthless mobster and his army of killers and thugs. Last week I said this episode would cover both The Raid and The Raid 2, and I was planning to cover both films, but due to the amount of time I put into covering just one of these films, I decided to do the next three weeks podcast covering three topics. The first focusing on The Raid, the second being on The Raid 2, and the third part focusing on what the actors and filmmakers have done since The Raid films. Also, since I did research for this episode and the upcoming episodes, I will be including links to all of my sources that I use for information in the description for each episode. So let's discuss the raid. Action films were a dire place in the 2000s-2010s. Films like Taken and the Bourne series popularised the idea that action had to be quickly cut and have shaky cam to them. Every film under the sun started to use this technique, in big air quotes, to make their action seem more real and intense. Because of this, anyone could be an action star. Instead of action stars being the likes of Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger or Jackie Chan, we got a new era of stars like Liam Neeson and Matt Damon. Big name films to this day still use shaky cam and quick cuts for their action scenes, with a big name example being the recent Marvel movies. While I do enjoy the Marvel movies, especially the Captain America movies, even I have to say what holds those films back greatly is the poor action in terms of how it's shot and how it's edited. But in my opinion, what is sad about this is that people think these action scenes are good and well done. To me, if I struggle to see what's going on, how am I meant to tell if the fight choreography is good or not? So the raid came out at the perfect time and because of this, it had a huge impact on action cinema. After Gareth Evans' second film, Barantau, he wanted his next venture to be a gangster film, which had the project name of Barandal. In an interview, Gareth talked about the fact he had already done two-thirds of the fight choreography for that film. This search for funding proved to be a bit difficult. He searched unsuccessfully for over a year. The film he wanted to make was just too large-scale for his second Indonesian film. However, an investor told him if he could make a different film for a smaller budget, he could go off and make that film. This film would become The Raid and the Barandal script was reworked and eventually would become what we know as The Raid 2. There's actually a teaser trailer for the original Barandal script on YouTube and the similarity to the bathroom scene in The Raid 2 is very striking. I'll include a link to both the teaser and the bathroom scene so you can see for yourself. There was a lot of preparation done for The Raid. In what is now typical for Gareth Evans, the fight scenes were all pre-vised. Pre-vis or pre-visualization is the visualization of complex scenes in a movie before filming. When asked how similar the pre-vis is to the final product, Gareth Evans said, and I quote, It's a little bit of a bible really in terms of how strictly we follow it. I'd say for every sequence, it's about 90-95% to the exact same. Previs is an important tool when it comes to his action. 
as in that same interview, he talked about how he adds the production shots into the previous edit. So he goes from the previous footage to the production footage to see if the edit is working for him and makes appropriate changes on set. Also, in terms of preparation, around eight members of the main cast were sent to boot camp to get training from Navy slash Marines. The reason they did this was to add a level of realism from how the cast held their guns to the way they communicate between each other and their commander. This was done so when they raid the building at the beginning of the film, it looked like a SWAT team going from floor to floor, room to room, adding that level of realism that the film needed. As if it didn't look real, the audience would be taken out of the film. What works so well in the raid seeing it go from a simple raid where they lock down all of the threats to being a living nightmare as these 20 cops are being hunted down by more or less everyone who lives in this building. But let's talk about the actual film. The film opens with Rama praying and it cuts to him doing some physical training. We then see he has a wife who is pregnant with their son. This sets up Rama's character. We see he's well trained in hand-to-hand combat, and when he and the rest of the team are trapped in the building, we see that he has something to fight for. He wants to escape so he can be with his wife. Whilst the setup is simple, it's effective and does the job perfectly. We don't need an in-depth character for us to connect with. We just need a simple character that we can latch onto. Famous film critic, the late great Roger Ebert, described his character development as a cheap fake-out. While I can understand where he is coming from, I disagree with his opinion. As to me, they don't bring up they don't bring up these things just to be dropped moments later, like they're not important. We see a couple times throughout the film that Rama is thinking about his wife when the mayhem has slowed down. It also establishes that he can handle hand-to-hand combat. While yes, you can say that him being a member of a SWAT team, he should be good at hand-to-hand combat, but still, showing us this is better than just telling us this information. As the scene continues, we see Rama tell his father that he's going to bring him back. This sets up the fact that his brother Andy works for Tama, the drug lord who controls the building they are about to raid. I feel like before we move on to the rest of the film, it's important to talk about the main style of martial art used in both raid films. The martial art used is Penkak Silat, which we will call Silat for short. According to the Pinkat Silat Federation, Silat is a genetic term for the indigenous martial art of the Indonesian slash Malay archipelago, which includes Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, and Brunei. Silat has played an important role in the history and culture of Indonesian and Malay people. Not many martial art films have showed off Silat before, so the raid thrusted Silat into cultural importance in both Indonesia and somewhat Hollywood. I'll stop sidetracking and focus on the film. We are introduced to the whole SWAT team as they are driving to the building, with noticeable standouts being Sergeant Jaka and Bowo. We are told their target is Tama, an infamous drug lord. He has full control of a building and he lets anyone stay there for a low price. His drug lab is also in this building, so it's assumed there will be people there to protect the product. 
Tama has two guards, one guard being Mad Dog, who is the fists of the operation, and Andy, who is the brains of the operation. We cut to a scene where Tama is killing off five thugs. Four he kills off with a pistol, and the other he kills with a hammer, as he runs out of bullets. But when he gets the hammer out of the drawer, you see a handful of bullets slide in the drawer, which he ignores. This highlights the sadistic nature of Tama. It's a short scene, but it is very effective. The SWAT team arrive at the building and waiting for them is Lieutenant Wuyu. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing his name wrong. But this should raise suspicion to the audience as he doesn't arrive with the rest of the team. He also stands out as he's not dressed the same as the rest of the cast. I might be overanalyzing things but I think Gareth Evans did this to show that Lieutenant Wuyu shouldn't be trusted. The last part of set up before the mayhem begins is when entering the building we encounter a man who is trying to get to his sick wife who lives in the building. We are told he lives in apartment 726. When they enter the building they go four to four making sure everyone is cuffed and duct tape is put over their mouths. All things are going well until we get to the fifth floor when a kid walks into the hallway. This is where things start to go bad for the SWAT team. We see an intercom in the background. But after seeing the SWAT team, the kid decides to run to another lookout to tell him about the police. Lieutenant Wu Yu shoots at the kid while he runs and kills him. The SWAT team chase after the lookout, but it's too late. He presses the button for the intercom and shouts police. The soundtrack has this alarm sound note to it, so it tells the audience the building's alarm had been triggered, but without having an actual alarm sound. Speaking of the soundtrack, the soundtrack is really well with the alarm sound that I mentioned before, and the part of the ending song is used many times in the film, and it's sort of becoming a key notes for the film. The soundtrack fits the film very well. Mike Shinoda and Joseph Trapanese did a great job, and yes, you heard me right, in his only composer credit for a film, Linkin Park's Mike Shinoda, who made songs like this. And this. And we can't forget this. Yeah, here we go for the hundredth time, hand grenade pins in every line, throw them up and let some... For his only composer credit, he did a pretty good job on the soundtrack. But now the alarm has been tripped and Tama knows they are in the building. So he locks the building down. He cuts the lights and over the speaker system tells everyone in the building if anyone who lives in the building kills the SWAT officers, they can continue to live there free of charge. This is where the action begins and it starts with one of the best scenes of tension ever produced to the silver screen. So the SWAT team are bunkered down and they hear movement behind a door near them. A group of four or five SWAT teams are focused on the door. Then one of the SWAT members looks up to the floor above, sensing something wrong. We then see the camera move slowly up to the next floor. And as we get closer to the floor above, the darkness fades away so that we can see five thugs pointing their guns at the floor below. Neither the SWAT team nor the thugs can see each other until one of the SWAT members fires his gun as he thinks that someone is opening the door. The light produced from the gunshot highlights the location of the SWAT team to the thugs and then the thugs open fire. This scene is so well crafted and it has a great use of slow motion when he fires the shotgun blast. The scene contains nail biting tension and it's a great starting point to the insane and incredible action to come. 
Now that the action has started, I'm going to focus on the action and other incredibly well done scenes rather than going from plot point to plot point, as to be honest, there's not much of a story to this film. The first set of action scenes focus mainly on gun combat. This was a decision that makes logical sense, is why would they use their fists if they have guns? And Gareth Evans agrees. In one of the Blu-ray bonus features, he talked about how he wanted the action to have a progression to it. He wanted them to use their guns till they, till they ran out of ammo and then move on to their fists. During this opening action scene, there's a great shot where we follow Rama jump down a floor he created with an axe, and then the camera follows him. For an opening action scene, it's pretty decent. It's just okay compared to what's to come. And to me, this is where the film is at its weakest. While the shot of Rama busting through the floor with the axe is an awesome visual, I personally don't like how the shots follow the axe mo motion at the beginning. It's just a personal issue though. And also, the explosion that occurs at the end of this scene is a bit fake looking. After the explosion, this is where we are introduced to a group I'm gonna call the Machete Gang. This gang is a part of the second half of one of the most famous action scenes from this film, the hallway fight that starts on 4-7. The first part of this hallway fight is just great. You can see the influence of how Jackie Chan films action scenes during this fight. Jackie Chan likes to shoot the action in a wide shot, but then maybe cut to a close-up or a medium shot to highlight an impact. A simple way to explain how they shoot action is they shoot for the edit, they don't find the edit in post. Gareth Evans does the same thing that Jackie Chan does, but brings his own unique style to it. There's a lot more movement in his shots and is likely to cut more. A big issue in martial art films is that, at most, the main character will fight an enemy one at a time. But due to the fact they fight in tight corridors, this makes sense as there isn't a way to go around them to do a sneak attack. While I don't mind the enemies attacking one at a time, as I love the art of a fight scene, some people might find this distracting. But back to the fight. The editing in the fight scene is excellent. The action is always clear as the shots are on screen long enough for us to understand what's going on. Also, every cut feels necessary instead of cutting to hide something, like a mistake or the fact that they're not really hitting each other. The second part of the hallway fight probably contains the most brutal death in the entire film, where someone is killed by using the remnants of what remains of a broken door. It is so quick and brutal that you need that 10 second break before the action picks up again in the room. The fight ends when Rama tackles the final member of the Machete Gang out of a window and Rama falls with him. There are two major fight scenes left to cover, the Mad Dog and Jacka fight, and the Mad Dog, Andy and Rama fight. We are told earlier in the film that Mad Dog is described as being a maniac of feet and fists. So his fight with Jacka is the first time we see him in action. The Mad Dog Jacka fight takes place in one of the building's apartment rooms, and its use of the scenery in the choreography, like when Jacka throws Mad Dog into a wardrobe, is just awesome. This reminds me of a scene earlier in the film when the characters use the walls in the fight as the area in which the scene is filmed is very cramped. It might sound silly, but I just love it in fight scenes when the characters hit the walls. It makes it feel like an actual fight instead of a well-choreographed dance. The Jack and Mad Dog fight is just a tease for what's to come. The final two-on-one fight scene is the true standout fight from the raid. This is where Mad Dog shows his true potential and absolutely holds his own against Rama and Andy. This fight 
took eight long days to shoot. In a Q&A for the raid, Gareth Evans said that the shortest day of shooting was 17 hours and the longest was about 26 to 27 hours. He did jokingly talk about how since there are no unions in Indonesia, they didn't have to worry about the hours the actors worked in the day. The final scene is pretty flawless. The way Mad Dog just dominates the fight at certain points adds tension as it's feasible that either Mad Dog or Rama and Andy could have won this fight. While we know our heroes are going to end up overcoming the odds, it is it still doesn't give the filmmakers an excuse to slack off and how they film the final fight leaves us wondering if in fact the heroes would prevail or would they be Mad Dog's final victims. The way the fight ends with them stabbing Mad Dog in the neck with a broken fluorescent light tube is just so brutal and a satisfying conclusion to an incredible fight scene. The film ends with a couple of setups for the raid too. I'll discuss this more in my review next week. The film ends with a pretty decent song called Razors Out. The song is sung by the lead vocalist for the band Deftones. Earlier I said that this film was released in 2011, and while that is technically true, there's a lot to break down on the release of this film. The film debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival as part of the Midnight Madness program in 2011, where it won the People's Choice Award. But the film wasn't widely released until 2012, with the UK release being the 18th of May 2012. Due to the film being released in festivals worldwide, this affected the actual release date, and this resulted in the film being released just prior to a little sci-fi action flick called Dread, which was a reinterpretation of the comic book character Judge Dread. Following its release, it was compared to the raid in reviews, and in 2012, the website Bloody Disgusting wrote an article comparing the two to see which one was better. Whilst Dredd has a similar plot set up, Dredd and his trainee partner Anderson are locked down in a building controlled by a drug lord called Mama. Dredd and Anderson have to fight their way up the building to escape. While yes, the bare bones plot summary makes it sound very similar, Dredd has different end goals than The Raid has. The Raid is an action focused film that story is just there for background dressing. Dredd is a film that focuses more on the world building and scene setting. This world building approach to the film is apparent as the writer for Dredd, Alex Garland, had ideas for what he could do for a Dredd trilogy if the first film was successful. These different goals lead to two very different films, and to me, the comparisons between the films actually does more harm to Dredd than good, as the action scenes in Dredd are nowhere near as good as the raids. But another film has been in the works since 2011 as well, and it still hasn't come out to this very day. That is The Raid Remake. The rights were sold to Screen Gems in 2011, I believe. There's no clear-cut answers from reliable sources. According to Wikipedia, the rights were sold in November of 2011, which means the rights were sold two months after the film's world premiere. In an interview on the Blu-ray, which I cannot find a date for when the interview happened, but I'll assume it happened before May 2012, Gareth Evans talked about how he would be executive producing the remake and that both Iko and Yayan, who plays Mad Dog, would be involved in the action choreography in some way. In 2014, it was announced that Patrick Hughes, who directed The Expendables 3, was attached to direct the remake. 
When I heard this news, my stomach dropped. The Expendables 3 is quite frankly a really bad film, and the action in the film just flat out sucks. So hearing he would be directing the remake made my already low expectations hit rock bottom. Then three years later, in 2017, it was announced that Patrick Hughes would no longer be directing the film. Instead, Joe Carnahan, who directed The A-Team and The Grey, would be writing and directing the remake. It would star Frank Grillo, whose previous films include Captain America Winter Soldier and Civil War. In 2019, Joe Carnahan, while on Collider Live, gave a brief description of what his story would be for the remake. Frank Grillo would star as Dave Zeno after a horrible field operation that has left Zeno in a bad shape and on the verge of PTSD. He is told to rest with his wife and kid for at least three months to recover. During this time, Zeno gets word that his brother, who he thought died four years ago, is actually alive and is in Caracas, Venezuela, working for a drug lord, I presume. And within 18 hours, he's going to be dead. So Zeno, at about 50% strength, has to go and get his brother back. Whilst this idea sounds pretty decent, and Joe Carnahan is a better choice for the director's chair, as I really enjoyed The Grey, I still really wasn't interested in this remake. But in February of this year, it was announced that Joe Carnahan's script would no longer be a remake of The Raid, instead be its own project called Xeno. While I'm still not interested in the remake, and probably never will be, to me, this remake highlights an issue the film industry has had for a while now. In my opinion, we live in a world that everything popular not made in America has to be remade by America. For example, the South Korean classic Old Boy was remade by Spike Lee in 2013. And the South Korean films I Saw the Devil, Extreme Job, and the 2020 Best Picture winner at the Oscars, Parasite, all have remakes in the works. And it isn't a recent issue either, with Japanese horror films such as The Ring, The Grudge, and One Miss Call all getting American remakes released in 2002, 2004, and 2008 respectively. Even Martin Scorsese's biggest film success at the Oscars with the film The Departed is a remake of the much superior Hong Kong film Infernal Affairs. This attitude to remaking popular foreign language films probably comes from the fact that certain people don't respect foreign cinema as much as American cinema. This issue was highlighted when Parasite won Best Picture at the Oscars, with Rant saying if a film wins the Best International Feature, it shouldn't win Best Picture. This attitude is probably due to the fact that foreign films are subtitled, and some people are instinctively turned off by subtitles, as when they watch a film, they don't also want to read. I hope if you get anything from this little sidetrack, is that there's a whole catalogue of amazing films out there if you don't mind subtitles. However, to conclude this discussion, due to the success of the raid, Gareth Evans was able to secure the funding required to fund the film he originally wanted to make, Barandal. He reworked that script so that it would be a sequel to the raid. You'll get to find out what my thoughts are on the raid 2 next week when I cover it as a part of my raid series. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next week. Next week.